Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this week's show, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself are joined by Blake Lovell, the godfather of SEC Hoops coverage. You don't earn the name the godfather unless you've been covering the SEC the best and for the longest. Blake has... Uh, really done both of those things, covering SEC basketball. He's going to join us, talk to us about uh, the SEC's many, many victories in the early draft uh, NBA returns. The bulk of the uh, young stars that had put their names in return. Uh, he'll talk about what that means, how that impacts the SEC race, why Tennessee will be so good, what the Gators' ceiling uh, is, um, why the middle of the league is, is so hard to predict and why this could be the deepest SEC basketball season in many, many years. We talk about these topics and a lot more. Really fun show. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I'm joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Our guest this week, Blake Lovell, covers SEC basketball uh, for a bunch of places. A guy wears more hats than a Kentucky Derby party. Uh, <laughs> assistant editor for Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, one of my favorite publications annually. It's like the, the Phil Steele Bible of college basketball. Uh, the host of the March into Madness podcast. You can read his work. And he checked college basketball. If you didn't get all that, I'm going to ask him in at the end anyway. Blake, what's going on, man? It's been too long. Yeah, guys. It's uh, it's good to catch up with you again. Um, I guess the last time we talked was last season at some point. So that would have been, what, probably eight, nine years? Something like that. <laughs> <now? So. laughs> it's been a long decade. 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so let's, let's dive right into, to kind of, obviously this has been a wild week goes without saying our listeners, you know, you may have heard that Florida is a football school, so they're following the news, uh, pretty closely, I'm sure, but the PAC 12 kind of dropped the, the first bomb to college basketball by canceling all non-conference college basketball games until at least January. Um, one would think that they'll be playing in January, um, but certainly raises some questions about you know what the college basketball season is going to look like. I know on this show, Eric and I have kind of said we think that that the idea will be some sort of conference only, maybe an expanded schedule. Where where do you come down on all this? Yeah, you know it's interesting, guys, that we're talking now because you, you mentioned the blue ribbon and all that, and of course the last couple of years, you know, now I've moved into an editor role, but I'm still doing the the teams and doing the team previews for some of these conferences. And oddly enough, not the Pac-12, but the Big West. And the thing is, I talked to a couple of coaches in the Big West over the past week, and I was fascinated just to get the different responses in terms of where they think college basketball is at. And, you know, you talk to one of them and it's like, we literally haven't seen our guys since March. And it's, you know, we have no one here. Um, we're doing everything still on Zoom. And when I'm thinking of the time, I'm thinking like, it's August, right? Like we're, we're starting the season here in three months or two, whatever it is at this point. And then you talk to other guys and it's like, well, you know what? We've got our full team here. We're practicing. Like we've been using it the time and NCAA gives us. And I'm like, Think about that. If you're a coach right now and you're in a situation where it's like 
you can't do anything. But yet someone potentially in your same conference, in your same location, can, not necessarily location, but, but let's say geographically, um, you know, not maybe five miles down the road, but maybe 100 miles down the road. And it's just like, I think that presents so many issues at this point. But at the same time, like you just said, for the Pac-12, I think there are also problems with it in saying, as of right now in August, we're going to go ahead and pretty much, you know, put put the kibosh on any non-conference games whatsoever. And I think that's something that, that is probably, you know, for people who are we're going through this college football thing too, and, you know, that one's obviously getting a lot of attention. But, but I think the college basketball thing is, and, you know, guys, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but basketball, there's a lot less numbers involved. And I think with basketball, you still have a lot more time to be able to make that decision. And so I think that's something that's going to be talked about a lot probably over the next several weeks, depending on what other conferences do. But to me, I think if you're basketball, you probably wait as long as you can to make that decision. And you mentioned it earlier, maybe that is conference only. Maybe you have different teams playing in different conferences this year. Who knows? But I do think there are a lot of options on the table just in terms of talking to some of these coaches. And I think they all want to explore those options before basically saying, you know what, we'll pick things back up in in February or March or something. I think everybody wants to kind of look at the options before you make that decision. I, I think what's maybe the most concerning to me uh, about the, the football news today was uh, just the fact that a lot of these football programs have had great success uh, in terms of testing so far. Uh, players have stayed healthy. They've stayed safe. Uh, same for the staff, the support staff. Uh, so I, I would say what's most concerning about this entire situation, and you guys can agree, disagree, tell me what I'm missing out on, is that it really doesn't seem to be an issue of, hey, can we do this or not? It's an issue of, hey, do we want liability for this? Because it's starting to look an awful lot like they they would be able to do this, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, quote unquote, uh, a bubble, uh, whether it's road trips only conference only road trips uh it, it really seems like it, it's possible f- for it to happen but uh despite there being uh, steps forward in terms of player safety and and a lot of players testing negative over and over and over again which is encouraging uh the news came out today that uh, that that obviously was was quite negative and and just everything about the situation to me reads that it's not a matter of is this possible it's a matter of do schools or conferences want liability and that question is uh, or the answer to that is a is a definite no and that's what's really concerning to me uh, from a basketball side is because uh, I totally agree I do think basketball with smaller numbers, uh, I, I do think it's very possible to do it safely, uh, but that liability situation isn't going to change. No, it, it's not. And I think you'd get that same sentiment from everyone. That was one of the first things, you know, that, that kind of popped into my mind because, you, again, we, we've all, since March, like we've all tried to look ahead knowing that things are going to change day by day, week by week. Like we kn- we knew that from the beginning that things were going to probably be to this point where there were some really tough decisions that were going to have to be made. But at the same time, you know, you do. You look at the numbers and you're thinking, okay, these are the options that we have. And, of course, everybody's pointing to, to the NBA and NHL and all that. But, but again, we, we also look at it and say, hey, we're talking about professional versus college. And that does open up those situations with a liability in terms of, okay, let's say one player gets this, um, then you have, you know, basically an outbreak and God forbid something happens to someone like that. Just 
that completely changes the entire dynamic. And I think that's where you look at it to where, you know, you, you brought it up, Eric. It's like you look at the numbers and you're seeing the testing and it feels like it's all trending in the right direction in terms of where things are at on that. Um, but at the same time, then we're making, you know, these decisions that don't necessarily kind of meet that same, you know, wh- whatever the criteria was to start with maybe isn't the criteria of where it is now. And I think that's something that it maybe – you know, people get concerned about wondering, is this just going to continue uh, in terms of what do we do? Like, like, do we just completely shut everything down until that number hits zero? You know, and I think that's something too, where it's like, is that number ever going to hit zero? And I, I just think there's too many aspects of it that we still don't know. But at the same time, I do guys, like I think basketball is in a spot where, you know, football has some hard decisions to make here this week, knowing that the season is supposed to be kicking off basically a month from now, less than that. Um, but, but with basketball, like you, you've got time to figure this out. And because of those smaller numbers, there are ways I think to do it. Like you mentioned in a safe manner, it's just a matter of, are they going to try to do that? Because I think that's the biggest thing right now. Yeah. And I think that's what, I, I think Blake, that's what bothered me about the decision today from, from the Pac-12 was that, you know, they have more time than college football. They have time to get organized. They have time to plan. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, I don't really – Dan Gavitt's not exactly like the guy in charge, but certainly they, they have more of a leadership structure than college football does. So there is a way to organize it. I, I saw that Craig Robinson, the new uh, leader of the national – Association of Basketball Coaches, uh, you know, uh, Michelle Obama's brother, um, longtime basketball coach, you know, was encouraging meetings between conference directors. Uh, So he obviously felt like, you know, the coaches could get together and work on. They had other options other than cancel everything. Uh, And because of what you were discussing, you know, just the smaller sizes, I think you could work on on some sort of non-conference solution, whether it was you get some non-conference games in a bubble type contained atmosphere. Maybe that happens in November, right? Uh, Where you can share tests so that your, your mid-major programs that maybe can't afford those, they they all enter that type of bubble. There were a lot of options that, that could be explored before you just default to, well, we'll, we'll check on it in January. And because things are so different day to day, state by state, I mean, Florida today, we had, uh, the most COVID deaths that we've had yet, but we had the the lowest number of case new cases reported in a month. I mean, these types of things, it's fluid is the point. So, you know, it, it just seems kind of short-sighted uh, to not take advantage of the time you have to come up with, with solutions. Yep. No, and, and I think it's too, you know, it, it is hard. And I know we, we love to give the NCAA, like everyone, NCAA, <laughs> like SEC officiating, like we, we love to find someone that we can blame for some of this stuff. But I do think this is such unique, you know, circumstances because it is different everywhere. And I think that's the point you have to look at is, you know, fair or unfair, like there are different parts of the country that this is not even a big issue anymore in terms of what's going on maybe within yeah. that specific location. And I think that's where, you know, can we say that, okay, you can't do this because, you know, three states over this or that, 
they're not necessarily handling this the best, but even though you are, we have to make the decision and say you're not allowed to do this. And I think that's where, you know, some, some of those aspects come in, and I think that's where some frustrations are because let's say this is the route that a lot of conferences decide to go in terms of making these decisions. If, again, we're, we're the caveat on all of this we're saying is, is assuming that everything continues to go in the right direction, and we all know that, um, that's something that's necessary no matter what. But if it does, it's like, I mean, I don't know, and that's where I'm at with all this, is knowing that, you know, talking to some of these guys, again, I think all of these college basketball coaches are all for exploring what potential options do we have, and if there are options that we have, we need to explore them as far as we can explore them until we decide, you know what, this is a bad idea. And I think that's where you have to be at right now. And, and I think those are things that are happening behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, and again, everybody's reporting at this point runs together based on seemingly a, a breaking news story every five minutes. Um, <laughs> but I know someone talked about, you know, I think it was, I don't remember who it was. And I don't even want to try because I'll get it wrong, but, it was about the, the you know college not being able to operate under the bubble type of circumstances, and I don't I don't agree with that. Like I, I I completely disagree because I think in a basketball setting, I do think you could find ways to do that and make that setup work. Um, yes, and we've said this from the beginning. It is more challenging in a in a college atmosphere versus a professional atmosphere. There are differences. We know there are differences. But I do think it's something you can make work. Now, if you tried to put, you know, that many football teams in the same spot because of the numbers, it would be harder to do. But I think in basketball, I do think there's a way you could structure it where maybe you're rotating teams in and out, you're playing a certain amount of games. And, look, there are a lot of great people out there that have already written stories on this with ideas. And I hope those are ideas that that people pay attention to because they are ideas that could work. I don't know that all the specifics would work, but but there are a lot of things about them that I think would work. And so hopefully we continue to explore those different ideas. And, again, hopefully everything starts to trend in the right direction. If it does, then I think that, that there are a lot more options on the table that you can work with. I, 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 the thing that I see, uh, just looking at all these sports that have went to bubble atmospheres or campus environments, as they're calling it for the NBA. Uh, what I've really just kind of seen from from the leagues in Europe, um, from things like the basketball tournament, or in Canada, we just had the, the Canadian Elite Basketball League do a bubble uh, to great success. And obviously, that's Canada, where, you know, I'll, I'll flex our lowercase numbers here, but, uh, you know, we still have <laughs> our club, but uh, uh, that worked. And and the thing that I've, I, I've, I have learned personally is that if the players want it to work, it's going to work uh, in terms of keeping it safe. Um, if it's Major League Baseball, where players want to go to crowded clubs and, and bars, uh, it's not going to work. But uh, if players want to commit to uh, uh, to playing, I, I do think players will be able to to keep safe. So uh, it's of course the the other issues and and amateurism that's getting in the way of these potential bubble scenarios. But uh, I, I really like I am someone who uh, throughout this entire process of, of COVID has had great um, respect for it. I'll say great fear. To be honest, uh, I, I'm not trying to minimize. Uh, this at all when I say that I, I think it's it's capable of being done safely, but I just think when you keep seeing leagues of a various size, uh, various sizes around the world, uh, when their bubbles have worked, it, it just makes me think like, man, why why could uh, a college basketball bubble or bubbles more accurately um, not work? But uh, I, I came up with a little pop 
pop quiz question for both of you, um, just as you both were talking, because um, I don't know if it's the most likely thing to happen, but I think we would all love if there was like regional bubbles, not just conference bubbles, but if it was like, yeah. hey, let's get, you know, let, let's get Florida with Florida Gulf Coast and, and North Florida. Um, I think there's 12 D Division One teams in Florida, 13 or something like that. Neil, maybe you know, but uh, Neil, I'm going to ask you off the top of your head, say there is a Florida only uh, college basketball season. Uh, what do you call that league? What do you call that made up league with Stetson? <laughs> so, so, and, and Blake, I want to ask you, uh, who comes fourth in this, in this, uh, upcoming season, if there is a Florida Ooh. only. So there's a, there's a little tough question for you guys, both off the top of your head, anywhere you can go with it. Neil, what, what would you call, what would you call that league? What's a great name for, for the Florida bubble college basketball league? Oh man, I'm kind of torn between like some sort of homage to to Knight Riders Elite, the the <laughs> AAU team that everybody recruits, and and something really boring like uh, like the Sunshine State Showdown or or something like that. <laughs> it's hard hard for me to pick a pick a name, but but it, like an as a non conference like bubble type tournament, you know, I love that idea. I th I think it'd be fun, and I mean, I I'm looking too like. Uh, Watching some Division Two basketball, which I did when I got bored and needed to get deep into the uh, the synergy uh, uh, film, as I, I watched a couple of divisions. And of course, you know, Florida is just all over the place as tremendous junior colleges, uh, as well as uh, some fantastic Division Two teams. And and Florida Southern was a team that was one of the best Division Two teams in the country this year. Uh, Nova Southeastern that was another team that that hovered at the top. So I mean, there's part of me that's like, hey, if this happens, like let's get a couple of these stud Division Two teams and like let's make it a party. Yeah, no, I think that would be great. I'm I'm trying to actually think right now. You're, you you put me on the spot in terms of thinking the fourth best team. We're going to assume that we're going to put Florida and Florida State right in the top two. But I'm trying to think of who I'm forgetting because I know there are people that I'm forgetting right now. But what is I'm trying to think? Well, um, that I, I of course I of course penciled in Miami at three just for the power. Right, okay. But even if you if you want to slide someone in at three ahead of Miami, that would be that would be awesome as well. I'd be I'd be I'd be good with that. Who am I forgetting mid major wise? It's UC, Florida, that UCF, USF. Oh, you're forgetting. I'm forgetting all of those teams. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and I'm trying one. to think. Of, UCF, USF, and FAU are probably the. The, yeah. Oh the man, big... I just talked to our man Dusty May, and I, I'm not even <laughs> going to give him the, the credit to put them in there. Um, I, I don't know. I guess. I mean, you probably. I guess you have to go with like USF or UCF, and, and I wasn't calling them mid majors, but I guess. I mean, they're not really, but I mean, they're they're probably fourth in that that order. I guess behind the the top three. It is. It is just crazy that yeah, if this did, if it did turn into this kind of regional. Uh, bubble situation yeah there's plenty of good teams in, in the state of florida and that would uh that'd be super fun if we were seeing you know the gators play south florida and and the gators yeah. playing you know getting to see florida atlantic with dusty bay it'd, it'd be a lot of fun no i mean i'd love to see some of these little regional bubbles pop up I, you know I, I think it would be great we have our own uh bubble of basketball hoops with the godfather of sec basketball though blake level here so but let's dive into the to the SEC kind of the way it's shaping up, you know. And I'll start with this because this is kind of it, it's fun and it it's always great to lead with a listener question, um, and one that 
we had Rob Doster a couple of weeks ago. He kind of hinted at, at the SEC being what he felt like he said one of the best two leagues. But uh, our first listener question was Zach Ward asked Blake, with a large number of impact players deciding to come back to school, could the argument be made the SEC is the deepest power five, or well, I call it the power six in basketball, but league out there top to bottom? I, I do think you can make that argument. Um, I, I will say that there are still uh, there are still maybe three, four teams, uh, probably three, I guess, only, that, that I still have some unknowns about in terms of what they're, they're actually going to do this season. Um, and I think beyond that, though, like there are so many teams that, that I feel like, and I, and I will say this, though, like I do feel like I say almost every year, and, and people think it's just because I'm a homer, like, I yeah. do feel like they're, you probably look at it and say every year I go into the season thinking, okay, l- legitimately, I'm not saying 10 or 11 SEC teams are going to make the tournament, but I think there are 10 or 11 that you look at and say, okay, in best case scenario, do I see that team getting to the tournament? I do think this year it is. Like, I feel like it's probably 11. And I don't want to throw, you know, the other three teams out there just to, to kind of, you know, rail on them. But, like, Mississippi State, Georgia, and Vanderbilt, I think are three teams that I'm not saying they're going to be, be bad teams, but I am telling you that I got a lot more questions about those three than I do about the other 11. And, and I don't know if they're NCAA tournament teams until maybe I can figure out, okay, they'll be able to answer that question or they'll be able to, to fix that weakness. Beyond that, like, I think you can make the argument that all these other teams, uh, you know, best case scenario for a team like Missouri. I mean, they've, they've got enough, I think, to be an NCAA tournament team. Texas A&M, they finished the year strong last year. I could see them being a tournament team. Ole Miss, I don't think it's getting enough credit. I think Ole Miss could very well wind up being one of the top five teams in the SEC, but yet we're probably putting a lot of other teams ahead of them right now. So if you go up and down the line, it is. like, And I think this guy's we may have talked about this a couple seasons ago when you had I'm trying to remember, I, I want to say it was Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, Florida, Mississippi State, LSU, whatever year that was. Again, they all run together at this point. Um, <laughs> but you know, we felt like we had five or six teams that could get to the Sweet 16 round. Not necessarily they could all go beyond that round, but you felt like you had strong enough teams to get to that round. I would probably put the top five or six teams in the SEC this year right now. I think maybe ah, that's tough, though, because that was a really good group. Like, we have to remember back. We can't always just go with the recency bias. Like, that year, I'm going to say that was the year before last. I, again, I can't remember. Yeah, it was. It like was. That, yeah, okay, so that's what it was. But that was, like, a really good group of teams. Like, you had some experience. You had a lot of talent. You had depth. Like, that was a really good group. And you felt like, okay, those teams go far. But I think you could make some similarity with this year's group and saying there are five, six, maybe even seven teams in a best-case scenario that I could say, you know what, that team has a makeup of a Sweet 16 type of team. And for some of them, maybe even as many as three or four, like I can see those teams going beyond the Sweet 16. Maybe that should be their expectation is to go beyond that. So – because of that, I think you could certainly make the case that the SEC is, if not the deepest conference, I think you can make the case that they're certainly in the top two when you compare it to all the other conferences out there. I think when you look at the teams that have obviously recruited really well, which the SEC is just recruiting like 
monsters right now, all these teams. Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams that check the box, that box. If you were to say like, hey, are you really excited about the way that this team is, is recruiting? Uh, fans of all those teams and, and people covering those teams would say like, yes, like a, a large number of these, of these teams have recruited well. And then you look at a lot of them of how they've done on the transfer wire or incoming transfers. Uh, you look at the league again, up and down, and you're like, wow, a lot of teams have impact transfers coming in. Uh, and then you look at the the NBA draft declarations and say like, hey, did uh, did a lot of these players stay in the draft or did they end up returning? And it's like, wow, this league had a lot of key guys come back in the draft. So there are a lot of those those different kind of roster composition things, the the what the things that you have to follow to really tell uh, what's going on in college basketball and who's going to be good. Just uh, a lot of those things went in favor of the SEC, and it, it's not like it was all the the big boys at the top of the league. It was you know like like you mentioned, Blake, just all the way down. You know, not the bottom three teams, but other than that, a, a whole lot of teams just uh, just like really had had good off seasons. Yeah, I think you have to say the SEC had to be the biggest winner in terms of the draft stuff because I'll tell you guys, and, you know, we probably talked about it a little bit in terms of just back and forth on Twitter and such, but, like, you know, there's a lot of guys came back that, quite frankly, I talked to some really well-respected people that that I felt like, you know, pretty much give you great information, and even they were like, I am stunned that some of these guys decided to come back. And, you know, thinking that some of these guys were gone and then to have them come back, of course, you know, the whole circumstance has certainly played into it because I, I do think when this first started, we were going to see more players come back than go pro because the, the pro landscape right now, as we know, even though, of course, we're, we're sitting here talking about everything getting canceled in college, but the pro <laughs> landscape, you know, overseas, basically, you know, what are your options there? Um, at this point, and I just, you know, there are lots of unknowns with that, and of course with the NBA, you don't know what that's going to look like, G League, everything, Um, but at the same time, you know, for Alabama to get John Petty back, for Arkansas to get Isaiah Joe back, which by the way, that was one to one I didn't think he was coming back, but he decides to come back, that makes Arkansas stronger. Um, You know, the LSU trio, I didn't think LSU would get all three back, and I thought maybe Watford would be the one that would stay in, uh, but guess what? They get everybody. And so it's yeah. like you go up and down the line, man, and it's just uh, what do you say? Because the SEC, not only with the recruiting, like like Eric mentioned, that, you know, you have the recruiting classes. That speaks for itself. But you have all these experienced guys coming back. You add these transfers all around the you know place where you just got different guys coming in different spots that seem like they're going to fit really well, which we talked about Ole Miss earlier. Like, Ole Miss getting Romello White. Like, it feels like that just came out of nowhere. But, <laughs> like, he's a stud. He can play. And, you know, there's so many other instances of that for, for all these teams around the conference. And it's like, man, these rosters are built to really go far in an NCAA tournament. And, and I think that's what's going to make this year really fascinating. And to put it bluntly, that's also what sucks because if we don't have a college basketball season, and we already know we're probably not going to have a normal college basketball season, like this could legitimately be one of the strongest top to bottom, you know, rosters that the SEC has had for, you know, again, one through 14. And hopefully we're able to, to see those guys in action because uh, there, there are going to be some really good teams. Yeah, no question. Uh, we, we should uh, do uh, CLT Gators question about, who did you have winning the tournament this year, and how far did you have the Gators going? Oh gosh! All right, so we have to 
we do we have to like kind of break the the, the fourth wall here and, and say that I <laughs> I looked at I looked at this question before we started and, and had a nice laugh because I, I will be honest with you like I can barely remember anything about last season at this point like it is it's just <laughs> I mean look it, and that's the thing like we're we're not trying to to make light of anything but like legitimately like it is August and there. Most times now, like, I don't even know what day it is. Like, I look up, and, like, all day today, I was like, it's it's Sunday or Monday. Like, no, man, it's Tuesday. I don't, I don't have a clue. But it is. Like, it, it feels like it's been so long since, you know, we watched a game or watched the SEC. But I guess now that I think about it, we look back, and, and we know last year for Florida, um, you know, there, there were frustrations, and I think they were going to be one of those teams that, you know, we could look up and say that, that we say, all right, well, sure, they, they could win a couple games in the tournament and be able, uh, you know, to get there, that they've got the talent. But at the same time, we could also say Florida's one of those teams that could very well be beat in the first round and, you know, basically look like a team that just didn't have it enough to, to beat yeah. whoever they're playing. And so uh, it's hard to know, like we said, without even having a bracket and, you know, all those other aspects that go into it. But I, I just think it was – I don't know. Like you guys, you guys watch it. You see it just like I do. I don't know that it was unlike a lot of other things we've seen over the past several years with Florida in terms of you see how good they can be, but you also see the things that hold them back, and you wonder, you know, are they going to be able to get to that point where it is, you know, you're in and you're out, you're able to maybe trust them, rely on them a little bit more. And that's the one thing I kept bringing up last season was I just I had a hard time trusting that team to go out and and maybe do the things you felt like they're capable of doing. And, and again, I I don't know exactly what that was, but it seemed like there were different things in different games that stood out. And you said, "Wow, it just it feels like they should be doing this better and that better." And I think that's where you look back at that Florida team from last year. A lot of talent on the roster, but. You know, it's just one of those things where it didn't necessarily all come together like we thought it would. And, of course, you know, the roster looks a little bit different now going into this season. We definitely were robbed of, a, of an NCAA tournament where uh, anything could have happened. I know that's that's every year. People say that every year. But, <laughs> uh, but hey, like uh, with the way that this, this regular season went, uh, I could see a lot of outcomes for Florida that uh, uh, – range from losing in the first round in, in embarrassing fashion to, to going on a little <laughs> bit of a run because the the team did have, you know, a, a good talent level that was starting to come together and, and getting the most out of some of their guys. But uh, that, that is funny just how, how long ago it, it, it seems like, and just uh, how, how quickly it came to an end. Uh, it's almost interesting. Just that question. I'm like, I forgot there wasn't a bracket. Like that's how little I remember. Yeah. Unless he's been like, right. oh, I'll look back at the bracket and see where I had Florida going. And it was, uh, yeah. And I think part of that was because, and I think we kind of talked about on this podcast was like, man, it just didn't feel real when it happened. It didn't feel when, feel real when, when the season ended. And uh, I think I was probably in a bit of a daze for those, uh, that, that month or so after that was just like, man, I can't believe we didn't get any closure to this year. Yeah. I remember. I, 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 go ahead, Blake. No, I was going to say, like, I was just trying to, as Eric was talking, I was trying to think back to the SEC tournament bracket and not have it in front of me. I didn't, I didn't want to go into those games because, of course, we had kind of, you know, at that point, I think most of us expected it was going to get canceled early on right. in the tournament. But I don't even remember, like, who Florida was going to play. Like, I know Arkansas, and I don't even remember who else won that first night. 
So, Dark so Dawn. yeah, so I, I was about to make a comment about that because <laughs> it's so funny. We were both thinking the same thing. And, and the only reason I remember is because I remember watching Anthony Edwards just destroy Ole Miss and thinking, right. and thinking, oh, Florida's going to, Florida's lucky that That's the tournament's right. going to, Florida's That's lucky the tournament's going to get canceled because Anthony Edwards was about to go on a mission. <laughs> I forgot all about that. Yeah. So I'm watching that game going, this is probably the last college basketball game I'm going to watch all year. Like, you kind of knew, right? <laughs> and, and yet, uh, that was wild. So, yeah, Florida was going to play Georgia again. Yeah, I, I completely forgot. Like, honestly, like I was thinking in my mind that Ole Miss beat Georgia. I was like, oh, you know what they did? Like, Anthony Edwards, think about that. Like, one of the best players in the country. Probably going to be a top three draft pick. I don't even remember him going off in an SEC tournament game. Like, that's, that's – I'm an <laughs> SEC godfather, right? You are. I don't remember that at all. So, <laughs> oh God, guys, I don't know. So There it is. So, I'm pretty sure – I oh, Neil, sorry. I was just going to – No, I'm pretty sure you and me went on the podcast uh, prior to that game. We were recording one just the day before, and I think you and me were both like, well, it looks like the Gators are going to be playing Ole Miss again, and then we were breaking down uh, <laughs> because we were both pretty confident Ole Miss was beating Georgia. That's also why, why I remember it was because I remember laughing at like, oh, man, me and Neil were, were pretty wrong on that one. Yeah. No, no doubt. So um, one of our uh, longtime listeners, this is what prompted me to do this – Blake, because we we breaking the fourth wall all over the place tonight. But I, I did do a in preparation for break. Blake, I did a, a. I was like, how would I how would I vote on a media ballot? And I was like, I'm not going to rank all 14 because the league is. I really feel like it's 10 teams that that could make the tournament. Blake Blake said 11. I'm not going to argue with the Godfather, but uh, I left Missouri out. Um, but but so. Longtime listener Sarah in Tampa was like, "Give us your top five and have Blake critique it." So here is my very, very unofficial post NBA. Everybody stayed in school except <laughs> Isaac Okaru. <laughs> um, uh, league top five, and I'll start at five, which is where I slotted in uh, the strong ass team that Will Wade will have at LSU. Um, and and I. You know, I don't know that I really have a lot of questions with LSU. You know, I'll put it, I'll put it that way. Other than I still don't see that that roster will necessarily defend any better, and I don't know schematically how much they do defensively. So that's kind of why I put them at five. Uh, fourth for me, I have uh, Alabama, and I'm I, I almost uh, you know had I done it in in pencil, I might have put them higher. I'm very high on the starting five in particular. Um, I, I think that bench will come together. It kind of needs to the way NATO plays. And so, you know, I, I like them at four. Uh, three, I put Florida. Um, my biggest question with Florida, and, and we'll get, you know, Eric knows more about this than me, but, but I, I do wonder about Tyree Appleby, ball heavy guard, and how he coexists with six-man Trey man. Ball heavy guard. Uh, what role does kind of Noah Locke carve out on a team that wants to go faster? Because um, Noah's not really a player built that way. And then, you know, I guess there's front court questions. I don't really know, though, because I think Anthony DeRuji is, is a guy that people are really sleeping on. It's an all conference wing that they're adding uh, from a pretty good league. So, you know, I'm, I'm high on him. Uh, two, I have Kentucky. I could have flipped them in Florida. Um, you know, 
I put them second because I do think Terrence Clark will play point guard. I know that is that a hot take. Um, it, it, look, it needs to be because if you're going to rely on the backup point guard from Creighton, like you got some, <laughs> you got some questions um, and and bigger ones than you've had. Here's a stat: John Calipari is returning five points per game and three rebounds. Like I get that they have colossal turnover every year, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> And then uh, number one, I have Tennessee, and I could do 100 rankings, and I would put Tennessee first every time. There it is. Well, I, I will say this: you, you know, you already know where I'm going. Like, I I agree with you on the number one. Like, I I'm I'm completely sold on Tennessee. Like, like I think their Final Four, like national championship, good. But like, I think they can be that good. You better uh, do it, Rick. And, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, and I know that's the first thing people are going to say. Like, well, it's Rick Barnes. You know, are you sure you can do that? Well, I think they got the potential because, and again, we're we're saying this knowing that this is going to be a different season. The tournament's going to look different, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, if we're just talking about talent and maybe those intangibles you need to, to win uh, a championship, get to a Final Four, like, I think they got them. And that's interesting to me because, you know, if I put this team on paper against that Grant Williams Admiral Schofield team, I'm probably still going with the Grant Williams Admiral Schofield team, but mm-hmm. it's because I already know their makeup. Like, I know the mentality. I know all those different things. But, I mean, you know, Jane Springer and Keon Johnson, like, they're they're ridiculously good. And they have the SEC defensive player that you to go along with them. And they've got John Fulkerson, who went from just being – you know, a role player to being a pretty dang good player, an all-SEC type of player. Santiago Vescovi, I think he's going to be a lot better. Um, you know, we have turnovers, and I get that, but we got to think, too. He just got thrown into the mix right away and basically said, here, you just take the ball and, and have it for, like, 90% of the game. And, <laughs> Where did so that, he that come from? Thing. Like, <laughs> can we, that's can the we thing. talk about like, We didn't even think he was going to play. Like, we didn't even think he was going to play the game last year, and, and the Crick <laughs> just decided at one point, you know what, we're throwing him in, and, and he's going to play whatever, 30 minutes a game. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think, you know, you can just judge it based on it. Like, I think he's good, too. So they, they've got, I think, man, they, they've got the total package. And so that's why I would, I'm with you. I would put Tennessee at one. I will say that, you know, looking at mine two through five, it's changed a lot. And I would still probably put Kentucky at two just because of the fact that they do have a lot of good young talent, but I will tell you this, guys. You know, I, I, one of the things you know for this Blue River report, we're doing a big story on kind of transfers and the value of experience for our Thursday edition. And I talked to Joel Justice at Kentucky, and one of the things he told me was, "Look, I mean, we, basically, hey, you know, these older guys that come in, which you know, they've got big coming this year, but." You know, they, they need these guys like now. It's not like it used to be where, you know, you can't you, – you don't know that every single freshman class is just going to come in and be able to do, you know, maybe what those those other freshman classes used to do five, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, you've got to have some experience. And I think that's why, like, Reed Travis, you know, we don't know ultimately. They got to the Elite Eight with Reed Travis, but, like, we don't know what, what Nate Sustana – like, we don't know how far they would have went last year. Like, they could have got there again and – and so you, I think you have guys like that that add that value, and that's what you don't know about this team because you you really don't. I mean, you said it, you know, like you have five points coming back. So yeah. I think Kentucky's. <laughs> I mean, it is like they're 
they're hard to figure out, but I'm willing to give Cal the benefit of the doubt in terms of, look, they're going to figure it out. Me too. If they start slow, they usually find a way to figure it out. So, um, I, and look, hey, Kenny Payne leaving too. I, don't, I think that's something – we'll have another podcast on that because that's a yeah. big discussion, I think, in terms of the future. Um, but that, then that's where things get tricky for me in that three to five range because uh, a month ago, month and a half ago, I said best case scenario, who would I put here if everyone came back in the NBA draft? And sure enough, I didn't think I was actually going to be in that situation, but I am. I had LSU at three, and I don't know what it is. I just think it's their style of play. I think it's just knowing that they, they've also you know, got a, a strong freshman class coming in, um, and they got all those guys back. But the defense is something that they have to be better at if they're going to be the third-best team in the SEC. And then, you know, this is where guys that I I would probably group three teams in at this point, Florida, Alabama, and Arkansas. And I don't even know what order I would – if you asked me today, like it would be completely <laughs> different. I would I would find a way to mix and match them every single day until the season started, to just switch them into different spots because I think they're all three good enough to be ahead of LSU. Um but at the same time, like, there are some unknowns. And I think you can say that with all those teams. But, you know, there's something about Arkansas that, that I just keep going back to and thinking, Musk figures out a way to do this. And I know what kind of what happened last year. I know they finished 11th and all that. But if Isaiah Joe plays in those games, like, I think it's completely different. And we're probably talking about them in a little bit different scenario, but knowing that they've got a really good class, he's back, you know, they've got other good guys coming back. Um, they've added some, some good transfers like Jalen Tate from Northern Kentucky. I think that's an underrated one in terms of what maybe he's going to be able to do there. They've just got a lot too. And, but you know what, I'd say the same thing about Alabama. If Alabama defends, like Alabama has a chance to be the second best team in the SEC. And, and I don't, you know, I believe that, like, because they could be so good on offense, they play such a unique style, that yeah. they could be the second best team in the SEC. Um, and then with Florida, I mean, you, you basically said what I was going to say, you know, in terms of, you look at Florida, I, I see the talent there. Uh, you know, I think DeRuji's someone, like you said, not going to get enough credit going into the season. Hopefully that's a good thing, because I think he could kind of be one of those guys that really breaks out. Um, and then, you know, everyone's talking about Andrew Demhart leaving, and, and that automatically means Florida's going to be a terrible team. They've <laughs> got to slow down a bit. Like, I love Andrew Demhart as a player, but, like, we also have to remember that, you know, there are other guys that, that, that can step up in those roles, and we've seen that from those guys. Um, so, so that's why I would, you know, basically put Florida in that mix. Now, I know I'm a little bit long-winded here, but I'm trying no, to, to properly respond. Great. To, to, to all of Neil's uh, top five. But, you know, th there is a team that's not in this mix that a lot of people are, you know, going to look at and say, well, why are they not here knowing where they've been the past whatever many years? Of course, that's Auburn. Like, yeah. I get Auburn, like Auburn fans. I, look, they, they, they love me one minute, they hate me in the next minute, but that's what you get when you're tweeting about Auburn and Alabama on the same timeline. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. I just, like, this is unlike any team Bruce has had there. And yeah. I I will tell you that, like, I know Shreve Cooper's good, but you talk about Kentucky, 
not having any, hardly much coming back in terms of production. Like Jalen Williams, um, you know, Flanagan, who's the other guy I'm forgetting about, um, Devin Cambridge. Like those guys, they played good roles as, as role players last year, but like they're going to have to step up and, and be, you know, guys that play a lot of minutes. And and I know you're, you're adding that freshman group, but Auburn is going to be the one of the youngest teams in the country. And, you know, I, I mean, I guess technically like Florida kind of went through that last year in terms of the youth. I mean, you had what you had, you know, you had Blackshear, and that's different. You had someone that's been there. This Auburn team, like you don't have that experience. Unlike, you know, look at last year. Well, they have six seniors, and then you had Okoro, who's a lottery pick. It's completely different. And so I think there's there's enough questions with Auburn to where I don't think I could put them ahead of any of those teams right now uh, just because of how good we think, you know, that six that we just talked about could very well be this season. Yeah, and I want to I let Eric get in here in a second on, on all this content. But, but I, what I'd add about Auburn, because I, you know, I, I to tell you the truth, I wrote down eight teams because I included South Carolina uh, in yep. that eight. And if I was going to put Auburn somewhere, it would be eight. And – the reason is, yeah, Sharif Cooper's really good. Look, Billy went through this when, when his program took the next step at Florida. Like, you can have an SEC-esque recruiting hall like like uh, like Bruce Pearl had. Right. Best freshman name in, in college basketball is also coming in. You didn't mention JT Thor. Um, I mean, you think the student section is going to love that guy if there's a student section? <laughs> um, <laughs> they are. But, but they, you know, Auburn – Auburn was, I think, fifth or sixth. And Eric will correct me. In Kim Palm experience last year, they they were five and zero in overtime, um, and they were a top ten team in luck, uh, and, and they went twenty five and six. And they returned a bunch of seniors, and they were old. And so that's how you win close games. Uh, I just think they're going to have some growing pains, and I think those growing pains are even more pronounced where there's not a non-conference schedule for Bruce to work stuff out. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's tough to, uh, Auburn is almost at that place where you've got to think like, Hey, we we kind of pencil them in in the the upper third of the league, just because of the the way the last couple of seasons have gone, where no one was really expecting that from, from the Tigers and, and they, they produce, but yeah, when you look at uh, the way that they, uh, when you look at the way they, they lost so much talent and, and even just the way that they're, if you're a believer in the predictive metrics, they, n- none of them ever thought Auburn was as good as kind of perception and the coaches poll were on them last year. And uh, yeah, their, their pieces just don't seem to fit. And then also when you look at, uh, you know, why has Auburn been good these last couple of years? It's been because their backcourt has been super good and mm-hmm. particularly really good at turning, turning other teams over and, and scoring a transition. And then you say, uh, who's going to do that this year. And it's, it's a little tough to say, you know, Devin Cambridge, Alan Flanagan, the, the, the freshman, because uh, uh, yeah, those, those key ball handlers are, are they're, they're gone now. So uh, yeah, I'm going to be perhaps said it, perhaps setting myself up to be, to be wrong by, by Bruce Pearl, who's <laughs> uh, surprised us the, uh, uh, the last couple of years. But, uh, but right now I'll say, yeah, I'm not, uh, not, a, not super high in Auburn right now. Well, Eric, what about what, I mean, Let's let's get you to dive in on on some uh, some other time. I and mean, Blake and I brought up a bunch of stuff. So you're the resident <laughs> Tyree Appleby 
um, you're the you're the national Tyree Appleby expert, and since we already talked up one uh, Horizon League transfer guard in uh, Jalen Tate, talk up the other Horizon League All Conference transfer guard, Tyree Appleby. What does he bring to Florida, and why is you know maybe our listeners are probably tired of hearing you explain why Andrew Nimhard's departure, you know, doesn't necessarily leave Florida in the toughest spot, but but you know, how do you see that working? And maybe answer the question you haven't really answered the last couple of shows. How do you envision that partnership with Trey Mann, or is it one? Is it one Mike White has to solve with rotations? Uh, that's that's going to be interesting to see. But the thing, uh, the thing with Tyree Appleby is uh, he's still as much as he's someone who is was pretty ball dominant in Cleveland State. He he won't have to be at Florida, and I think it's going to be best for him as well as the team if he is if he gets the ball kind of in transition or a semi transition uh if he's looking to attack there before defenses are totally set up i i mean the, the sec is uh, such a good defensive league and we saw this all over the league where you know the sec had great guards but by the middle of the season by the end of the season uh teams knew how to load up against talented guards uh, florida was one of those teams that defended these talented guards pretty well, but by the end of the season, because they knew, Hey, we know our help's coming from let's guide them into help. So, so with Tyree Appleby, uh, like with many talented guards, you, uh, you're best off getting them, uh, getting them to attack early in the offense before defenses can totally get set up. And if he can attack a defense that isn't structured in a way that, uh, that he's going, that he has to go through multiple levels, uh, that might be where you have the most success with Appleby. And, uh, the, in terms of the partnership with him and him and man, it, it's definitely not a natural one. And it, it's not because it, it, I would say I'm confident in, in Appleby. Uh, I'm just not as confident in, in, in Trey man, just because he was someone who really struggled to shoot catch and shoot shots last year. Uh, and that's something that, uh, you're going to need from him offensively. Uh, because uh, the one thing with, with man, um, he did have some rough numbers last year. He had uh, a rough start to the season offensively. He had a bit of a rough middle, and he got, he kind of got on track by the end. But uh, still, which which I guess is why his numbers don't look great. But uh, his pick and roll numbers were were not good at all as as a primary ball handler. So uh, to try to make the argument of like, hey, he's a guy that needs the ball in his hands. Um, you definitely, uh, which is something I've argued. Um, <laughs> it, it is a little bit tough because you say like, well, when he did have the ball in his hands he wasn't great. So I, I, he's another guy where I think the key for him is, is not going to be over dribbling it, waiting for, you know, dribbling at the top, wait for a screen to come, then, then attack off it. Uh, I think it's going to be like, Hey, can we get the ball off a rotation and then have him attack a closeout or, Hey, instead of him dribbling and the screen comes up to him, what if we dribble handoff into Trey man? And then he uses a ball screen just to, to, to kind of uh, involve some more defenders in the action and, and just make it that he doesn't have to read three levels of defense. And uh, I, obviously I'm very interested in what Florida's style of play is going to be generally after they played quite structured last year, but are bringing in someone who can play a little bit more unstructured and in, in Tyree Appleby, uh, who's really going to change things. And I, I'm interested to see, but you know, something that, something that, so I like, so Blake, I, I coach high school basketball as, as well as Neil does. And it's something that uh, we bring up, bring up a lot in the show just to kind of use examples. But uh, something with my team is uh, we play relatively structured, I would say, especially for a high school team. Uh, but uh, just like a, a lot of teams at all levels of basketball, we do want to play out of concept. So, so my rule for my guys is 
Uh, as soon as there's a bad closeout from the defense, that's when you start playing into concepts. That's where you don't have to play within the structure. Uh, our, our offense is all about trying to get a bad closeout, and then you can start attacking five on four, four on three, two on one. Uh, so I kind of think that's a little bit of how I'd, I'd like to see Florida play, uh, whether that's how they'll play. I mean, that's very going to be very different potentially. But I think that's going to be what Florida, what might be good for Florida is if you start with a little bit of structure, like their Princeton offense. But uh, yeah, as soon as uh, as soon as there's a bad closeout and you've got a player going downhill towards the paint, that's where you start to play out of concepts and 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 cut and screen away from the ball to flare for a three point shooter. And uh, if that's the case, I, I do think it's hey. It's it's not as much. Hey, do you do you start to play with the ball in Trey Mann's hands or, or Tyree Appleby's hands? It's hey, when the defense breaks down and the ball gets kicked out, can they make a play? Uh oh. Oh, I heard heard that. Hello. I've got you, Neil. All right. I don't know what. I, did we lose Blake? Yeah. Hey guys, I'm here for some reason. It cut out. Like I I was hearing Eric, and then it just kind of I didn't hear anything. Like even okay. when he was still talking. So. All right. Well. <laughs> Sorry. We- we can edit. We can edit that problem out. That's that's not a yeah. No. <laughs> Perfect. No, I heard him talking, and then like he was talking, and I knew he wasn't at a stopping point. But I was like, wait a second, I don't hear anything anymore. So I was like no. checking my phone, the volume, and everything. So no, no worries. We we got you now. All right. Perfect. So uh, let let me ask. Let me kick it back to to Blake a little bit. Uh, you know, we we got a we haven't talked about. Of the returning players, let's put it this way, of the returning players, and, and maybe you go Isaiah Joe and it's, it's really not hard. Um, but but who, who's the guy that you think just could explode? Like, is it Jaden Shackelford maybe? Uh, you know, where are you at on the let, – maybe we limit it to returning second-year players. Oh, well, that's a good one. Um, but that's why – I come on your podcast because I don't want to get the good one. I want to get the good question. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I think I think he's a good one because, you know, I, I mean, he just boy, you talk about someone that fits their system. My goodness, like he right, he's exactly what NATO envisions. Um, you know, in a, in a guard in his system, and I think we saw that uh, in the first season. And plus, look, we know. I mean, they've got some some good guys coming in, but Kyra Lewis is gone, and I think that. That will open up more opportunities uh, for, for someone like Shackelford. If you look elsewhere, oh, man, like I'm trying to think if there's a freshman from last year that I'm forgetting about. Jermaine Cousinard, Kou- maybe? Yeah, like he's a good one. Because, like, we, again, we're, we're all going to forget about South Carolina. We do it every year. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, let's rank the SEC 1 through 13. And then, you know, a few weeks later, go, oh, yeah, we forgot to rank South Carolina. Um, because that's. <laughs> That's pretty much what we do every year now. So, uh, for whatever reason, and, and Frank loves it. Like he's he's good with it. But um, he's a good one because I think you know South Carolina again. They're they're one of those teams that, that last year, once again, like not necessarily great in non-conference play, but 
you know what? They they find a way to win double digit SEC games, and, and like they're just they're there, and you know they're probably going to be there at some point, and kind of factor into the conversation. So he's another good one. We mentioned, you know, Viscovi earlier. I think he's. I mean, I don't know exactly what his role will be this year. Um, you know, because of the guys they have coming in, but I do think you know he's someone you're probably going to look at and say, hey, he could he could be really good. And um, man, I'm trying to think if there's somebody else I'm forgetting. Well, what I will say is, and we kind of talked about this earlier, and I know he's not a, um, in terms of classification and such, he's not what you want specifically, but I think Xavier Penson at Missouri is, um, nice. you know, we, we saw we saw him have some breakout type of games, and I think the biggest thing is going to be, okay, does that turn into, you know, more of those consistent type of games? And I think if he has that, he could be good, man, because he, he had that 32-point game. I think it was against Ole Miss. Like, he played really well against Auburn. He, he just – he had some pretty big scoring outbursts in SEC play. I think he's someone – if Missouri's going to get to that point where they've been wanting to get to for several years now, I mean, he's going to have to be the guy that does it. So, so he's someone else that I would probably look at. I mean, I guess technically he's already broke out. But, you know, in a sense, I think he's going to have to be just as good or, or even better. Uh, if Missouri wants to take that step forward, so Eric, sorry, what was that? Uh, what was that initial question? I was just uh, ah, you're good, stats while basking in <laughs> in Blake's uh, Blake's knowledge. No, it was it was good. I, well, I was trying to think of 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 players who who came back mm. and or second year players that would take a huge jump, and and I think we've touched on a lot of them. We didn't mention Scotty Lewis. Uh, obviously, Scotty played pretty well down the stretch. Um, you know, where are you at on on what his second year could look like? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I I don't know if I'm expecting that uh, a, a huge leap leap from Lewis. Uh, that was also something I was you know thinking about. Was uh, I'm not someone <laughs> who also sees a huge leap from from Isaiah Joe necessarily. Uh, just be, uh, but with uh, with Lewis at the same time, I. I it's kind of a little bit of uh, it's something that uh, that I could be very wrong on because I look at the fact that he he really struggles with just general um, offensive instincts I would say and, I, and I'm not trying to put him down or he's just, just some players really see the part of that game very easily and, and some don't and and Lewis is someone who I just don't think has a lot of the natural offensive instincts so part of me says hey do I think he's gonna make a big leap uh, because he didn't have many off offensive instincts. It's uh, it's kind of like, hey, he he had very little offensive instincts as a freshman, which means the the sky's the limit for him. Uh, if he develops a couple of these skills uh, based off what he had last year, then yeah, he's ready for a huge leap. But then there's part of me that thinks like, hey, if you just if if the offensive side of the game just doesn't come super easily, uh, can you expect a big leap there? So uh, one of the encouraging things would definitely be the fact that that Lewis shot the ball well. Uh, so well at the end of the season, which is uh, uh, pretty shocking because, yeah, at the start of the year, he, he was struggling to to get to the uh, the 20% mark from three. It was uh, it was looking pretty ugly at times. But then, yeah, by the end of the year, he's a super reliable shooter who hits 44% of his threes in conference play. So it's all going to start with, with the three for him. If he can continue to be a 40-plus percent three-point shooter, uh, that's going to open up a lot of things for him. Uh, but I, I think, again, he doesn't have to add a ton to, to his game. I think he's got to look at his 
uh, fellow Gators forward, Keontae Johnson, and say like, hey, if I can just attack closeouts and score in straight lines when the ball gets kicked out to me, uh, you know, I could be effective. That's that's how Lewis has to think because he is going to be so much quicker than 99% of the players he's on the floor against, and he's more athletic and can jump over 99% of the players he's going to be on the floor with. And I think for him, it's it's uh, I'm not expecting huge leaps or huge changes in his kind of skill set it's just like hey if he can can he stay a consistent shooter and can he uh can he score off straight line drives so i guess we'll close with uh with two questions everybody there still are we are yeah. we fading? <laughs> all right we're fading we're fading in and out all right so we're closing with we're closing with these two we've got uh we've got a fun one and then we've got a serious one which one do we want to go with first Oh, definitely serious. Oh, yeah. Right. What, what do you want, Blake? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so we voted on serious first. Adam Spencer, our my my uh, colleague at Saturday Down South, Missouri guy, knows a lot of basketball. Uh, he he wanted to know uh, what the team that Blake thinks from that middle uh, is that that we might look at come March and go. Why didn't we know that they were going to be a team with a double buy? Yeah. I kind of said earlier, I, I think it's Ole Miss. Like, I, I'm i just um, – I mean, you guys know, like, I'm a Kermit Davis guy, man. and I just, He's good. I know I know where they finished last year. Um, and, and that's another one, too. Like, I think people are going to look at it and say, you know what, the entirees leaving, this guy could put up 40 a game. But at the same time, like, I think what you replace him with, like, it's a different team. But I, And I, I think maybe in a sense, like, there could be some positive things out of that in terms of them being able to make a jump because we mentioned Romello White um, you know Devontae Schuler's back like I, I just think there's a lot that's there they're another one kind of like South Carolina like you look at them I don't think anyone just kind of looks at it and says you know that's just the, the sexiest team or anything but I do think they're a team that could kind of come out and, and surprise some people but if I didn't say them you guys know who I would say I would say South Carolina just because we do it every year but the thing is I don't want to say South Carolina because then I would put the jinx on him, and I don't want Frank coming after me because he's a former bouncer, and I just don't want to have any part of it. So I'm going to keep picking <laughs> against them that way, knowing that as long as I keep picking against them, which has kind of become a running joke on Twitter, that means they're probably going to do pretty well. So I, I would probably go Ole Miss 1, South Carolina 2. That's got to be one of the hardest things to do with someone who covers the SEC is, is trying to stay objective uh, about South Carolina as you've got uh, – got frank martin looking at you that's a that's intimidating but uh, and i just love south carolina has like the most south carolina recruiting class for this year it's like two big men that are ranked like 370th in the country um it's just so south carolina and i'm sure one of them is going to kill florida in two years and just yeah be one of those guys but uh yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I I love what South Carolina is. Uh, I just let, like when you see that so many of the uh, so many of these teams are trying to be you know NBA factories and and recruit that way. I just love that Frank Martin is Frank Martin and nothing different. Yeah, so I, I was gonna go Ole Miss too for for Adam, but then I thought about it and decided that I think it'll be South Carolina as well. Um, but since since we brought up Ole Miss, I, I really think. So here I'll do I'll do my one hot take of the show. Devontae Schuler will be first team All SEC. There's my mm-hmm. hot, there's my hot take, and it it's the same. The logic behind it is the same as the Nimhard leaves in Florida is okay. Like I I really do think that that Brian Tyree being guard um, 
being gone is is something that can help because he's he's he was so ball dominant, Blake. That you know when you uh, he led the conference in percentage of shots taken. Um, that's not awesome when you think about the other scoring talent on that roster, right? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, he could go off for forty, but but at what cost sometimes? And I just love the way that I think Schuler's quicker. Uh, he can create his own shot. I think that. You mentioned Jaden Shackelford is a guy that's in a perfect system. You know, Kermit loves that four-out motion offense. Perfect for Devontae Shuler. So uh, not as ball-needy, a better passer than Tyree. Yeah, I'll stick with that hot take. Yeah, and we can't forget they've got uh, Jarkel Joyner, too, joining the mix. And Demencio Vaughn. Like, yeah. Demencio Vaughn comes over from Ryder, a, a grad guy. And, um, you know, you had Jarkel Joyner, who averaged double figures at, for, for Rod Barnes there. What a what a nice ironic twist that, you know, Rod Barnes at Cal State Bakersfield sends a guy to Ole Miss, and uh, he can very well be a, a pretty big factor. So I, I like – I'm telling you, I, just, I look at this Ole Miss roster, man. I think they, they've got some pieces, and, and they're not going to be one that gets picked high. Like you said, we, I wouldn't be surprised they pick below seventh, but – at the same time, I, I could easily see them cracking that, that top five and being that team to look at and say, wow, how'd they get there? Um, well, guess what, guys? If we do say that, we have this audio recording to look back and say, well, we tried to tell you how they got there, um, or we could be completely wrong. So either way, uh, someone wins in this scenario. <laughs> so we got uh, Timmy Gator 96. I love when they're like just the most awesome Twitter name. It's just like a year I love Gator <laughs> mascot. Like John Tide 2009, you know? So Timmy, Timmy Gator uh, 96 will close us out with this fun one. He says, draft your anchorman street fight team out of SEC coaches. And I said, oh. man, we, I said, we, we got to get Blake in on that. And you know Blake <laughs> wants to draft a street fighter team. So, so we'll give well, Blake as our guest the first pick in the SEC <laughs> coach street fighter draft. Well, guys, I mean, come on. This is this is a no <laughs> like, I mean, it's, you guys, well, I see that. And, you know, I see that. But Jerry Stackhouse, the addition of Jerry Stackhouse makes it more interesting. But, I mean, because Jerry Stackhouse, like, he was a bulldog when he played in the NBA. We know, like, he's he not backing down from anyone. He didn't do it in North Carolina. He didn't do it in the NBA. <laughs> but at the same time, like I don't, I don't care how old Frank Merton is. I'm not messing with that man if he's a hundred. Like I, I want no part of him on the street, um, in an alley, in a corner. Like I, no thanks. Like I, I'm not going anywhere near him. So I think he is without question um, the, the easy num- number one choice for me if we're drafting there. All right. So Blake took Frank Martin. Eric, you can have the second pick. Yeah, it's got to be Stackhouse. Uh, I, I'm looking at uh, if, if there's anything you're going to be able to do against Frank Martin. Uh, it's like, hey, maybe you try to try to keep him at distance. And uh, I'll take the length of Stackhouse, though. There's there's definitely uh, we're, we're into the second tier already, but I'll take Stackhouse. All right. You guys have really forced my hand in terms of like I've already I'm going to get bullied and beaten and bruised. So I need the American gangster. I need somebody with a, with a trick up their sleeve. So I'm, I'm taking William Wade with my first pick. Oh, wow. All right, I think I think we're snake drafting here. You can you can even get the next one here. Oh, oh it's a snake draft. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so let's just I'll just keep with my American gangster team, and so I've got William Wade. Give me one Bruce Pearl as well. <laughs> I like it. You're playing in the trenches, and that's what you got to do. <laughs> when you don't have Frank Martin. Um, 
I, I'm looking for a little bit of a, a little bit of scrappiness uh, personality wise. Uh, it may not be the biggest guy, but I love his mentality. Buzz Williams. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. Like I and think energy I think pick in, the, in this draft. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you should win higher in this draft. I'll, I'll give you my fifteen hundred word column after this on uh, why Buzz Williams was picked too low in this draft. But all right, so this last one. If, we, if we're going to say this is the next, like we're going to finish with this one, I'm going to give you a wild card in here, and I know I'm going outside the rules here, but. You know what? Uh, it's the SEC. It's time to go outside the ball. <laughs> um, this one, like, just it just falls right into your lap, right? Because if it has to be an SEC coach, I'm just going to assume that it's an SEC coach, whether head coach or assistant. So I'm going to take Bruiser Flint because he's oh. <laughs> Kenny Payne. And so I think you have to go with a guy named Bruiser, and that's <laughs> to start with. Like, I think that's an easy choice. But at the same time, like, I feel like he's someone, he's from Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, I think it's a, it's a normal fit. And, and I, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about Philadelphia, but like, he's just someone that I think that could, you know, with that kind of name, he's going to impose fear into the opponents. And so I will, I will go outside with a wild card choice and take a new associate head coach at Kentucky Bruiser Flint, and I don't even know if he's officially been named that yet, but uh, we're going to name him that and go ahead and get the contract right here on this podcast. <laughs> you know it's, what? I, I love it. It, it seemed like it seemed like he was officially announced the moment that uh, the moment yeah, the right. Knicks <laughs> the Knicks coach was announced. <laughs> but if we're really doing an anchorman draft too, uh, Tom Green <laughs> is definitely brick. Uh, there's no question. And if and if someone is yelling out, hey. <laughs> If someone is yelling out, hey, no touching of the hair or face, it's got to be Mike White because he's the best-looking coach in the SEC. <laughs> so that's a, so I, I realize we could have interpreted this question as, like, who are the Anchorman characters? Uh, in, in which case, Mike White would get in and, uh, yeah, uh, Tom, Tom Crean as well. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm glad we did this. If we've ever done anything important with Blake on the show – it's it's we've we've now had an anchorman street fighter hold on, hold on. quickly i wanted to like let's just do this real we've already gone this deep into it like come on what's, what's <laughs> one more thing all right just because eric brought up okay we have to choose like who is eric started making decisions for brick but like who is ron burgundy like who is that oh, guy cal. Out of cal. The like cal. we have to pick one of those it's john okay. calfair it's cal Okay. I just want to. I just want to see. Like, I. I think. I don't know. Like, maybe it is Cal, but I'm trying to think of who else it would be, and I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if I have another answer. So. So, if your listeners, if they haven't heard our show before, the uh, a couple shows ago, you know, when when Doster was on, he told this this epic story that you'll appreciate, Blake. That that uh, one time one of his buddies, Cal was still at Memphis, and his his buddy was a beat writer for for the memphis paper and he ends up on a plane with cal uh for something they, they were going up there for i guess it was back when memphis's conference tournament was like before the rest of them you know and yeah. so they were they were done and and cal was going to go in studio for like the big conference tournaments and so he ends up on the plane with calipari and he said cal sat on the plane ron burgundy style and just practiced answers for an hour and a half all the way to Bristol. And at one point, he, he gets up the courage and he says, and Doster didn't give us the writer's name, but you might know who it is because you're from the area. But he gets up the courage to, to ask Cal, what are you doing? Don't you, don't you want to know what the questions are? And Calipari looks at him, 
flashes that million dollar grin and goes, it doesn't matter what the questions are. <laughs> These are the answers I want my players to hear. <laughs> I guess, I guess in some, in some ways, uh, yeah. Cal is the, uh, the anti anchorman, the anti Ron Burgundy, because instead of, uh, instead of him reading exactly what's on the teleprompter, Cal Perry does the exact opposite of what's on the teleprompter. He's his own true. teleprompter. Hey, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess if we had to go to someone we think that it would just read directly off the teleprompter. I don't listen, you, you guys know, like I some of these guys are my, my friends and I don't want to throw any of these guys under the bus, so like, I don't really know what I should say, but um I don't know. Like it's a it's a tough one. I don't know who would read directly off the teleprompter without going off script. Yeah. Well, maybe that's so. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Maybe Ben Howland. Maybe yeah. maybe maybe Tony Barbie. <laughs> I think Howland's the best choice. I'll agree with that, maybe. But it's for you to use the whole Kentucky bench. No. <laughs> I love it. I can't believe we just spent 10 minutes on that. Blake, the godfather <laughs> of SEC hoops, who will who will do whatever because he's the man. Thanks for joining us. Tell everybody where to find you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, always enjoy this discussion. Like you said, Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. We decided, and at this point, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and uh, we're gonna try to put the book out there whenever we can, and we're gonna go best case scenario and assume that's gonna be a season. So we are hard at work on that right now, uh, trying to get all of our teams uh, included, all our writers and everything. Um, and then the other thing we're doing now is the the Blue Ribbon Report, which is uh, online on Substack, which I think uh, everyone's on Substack now in some form or fashion. But uh, we've got a a nice uh, deal we're doing there with some pretty in depth coverage. Um, where you can sign up on that. So you can get a free subscription if you want, a paid subscription. we got a lot of great stuff uh, going on there, so you can check that out uh, online at blueribbon.substack.com. Love it. Love it. Thanks, Blake. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys.